working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krauss, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer Hubert Payne. For almost two years, Hubert has been the drummer for a highly respectable country music act, Little Big Town. Little Big Town has always surrounded themselves with the best musicians, and Hubert is the perfect example of that tradition. 2016 has been a big year for him that includes recording the new record with Little Big Town, as well as with Pharrell Williams. Also, we talk about a crazy thing that happened to Hubert back in 2010, where he was stabbed in a nightclub and how he chose to react to that life-changing event, as well as so much more. We all love vintage gear, and I bet you know someone that owns an old Les Paul or maybe a 56 Fender Strat that never leaves the home, and the question is, why do we love this gear? It looks cool, it gives you that warm, handcrafted tone, and often brings a unique vibe to the music. Of course, it has its limitations, and if we're talking drums, we run into problems like its fragility, limited tuning... So where am I going with this? Well, once again, I went back out to KHS America in Mount Juliet, Tennessee to spend some time with some vintage gear. I'm talking about the Sonar Vintage Series Kit. I had seen and heard these at Summer NAM, but now I had a little one-on-one with these beautiful drums. Some specs you should know that make these drums uh, a modern vintage kit. The shells are that hand-selected premium German beach shell with rounded bearing edges. Keep in mind, this comes from the same forest of beechwood trees that were used in the manufacturing of sonar drums from the 1960s. The recreated teardrop lugs are a big deal. They look and feel just like the original, but now it has sonar's exclusive tune safe system. In other words, they stay in tune. There are many beautiful finishes you can choose from, like the vintage pearl and my favorite, the red oyster. It looks, sounds, and feels like a vintage kit, but maintains the quality and reliability of a modern kit. You could really call this a modern vintage kit. So go to us.sonar.com to learn more about the vintage series and find a dealer near you. To find out more about this podcast and other recordings we've done, go to workingdrummer.net. You can find all of our episodes, one to almost 100, which is coming up at the end of this month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, and while you're there, leave a rating and a review. That helps us grow. Find us on all the social media like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So let's get to it. Here is Hubert Payne. You and I are just talking about putting together, uh, or we're talking about Keo's idea, Keo mm-hmm. Strauss' idea, who was a guest on this podcast uh, earlier last year, about doing a uh, Black Drummers of Nashville roundtable and, uh, and talk about this thing that um, doesn't get talked about very much. Mm-hmm. But you, what you were saying, you were saying something about being in places where people aren't used to seeing you in yeah. this role. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, often I find myself um, in situations, um, <laughs> it's funny, man, I'll, I'll be in a stadium full of people, mm-hmm. and I'll be the only person of color, like mm-hmm. African-American person there. And that's something that happens often, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, 
for me personally, I, I like to, I, I take it as a challenge. And mm. I, you know, first and foremost, I feel like God has placed me in this position for a reason. And everything in my life has led up to this point. Yeah. I've been processed for a certain journey. Yeah. And uh, when I look, we, we can get into the backstory and it's pretty crazy yeah. how I've yeah. been uh, kind of molded for this position. But uh, I, I take some responsibility to, uh, you know, kind of watch my behavior, the way that I deal with people, mm. you know, always with love. Because a lot of people, just because of circumstance, just because of circumstance, they haven't, you know, been around an African-American person. Mm-hmm. I get a ton of, you know, at my security, at my little big town security, I get that a ton, you know. <laughs> um, and I've had issues with that, but I choose to react to it. In a, in a way that will keep me in position and I won't jeopardize what God's plan is for me to be there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so um, it, it's just really huge for me to be responsible and, and uh, kind of have a positive experience with people mm-hmm. as a player and as a person with, you know, catering or security or mm-hmm. whoever I'm dealing with, fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot of times in middle America, just because of the way things are, there's not a lot of people who look like me there. So, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, if if I if I can kind of maybe change one mind, someone's mind mm-hmm. maybe might be mm-hmm. made up. Mm-hmm. A lot of people else they think you know, black dude he must behave like a rapper or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, mm-hmm. nothing against that, but you know, well, at the I, end of the day, you're helping to affect change in the narrative yes. that is yeah. very pervasive in yeah. our society. Yeah, um, and it seems like more so now. So here you're, like you say, given this, almost this grand opportunity. Yeah. And it's hard to say responsibility because, but it is an opportunity. Well, I believe that blessings don't come without responsibility. Okay. If, 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 if something, if God gives you a blessing, an amazing blessing, then it's for a reason. It's for you to kind of carry out, um, his purpose or his, mm-hmm. his his vision for your life, which is love and, and creating, you know, his spirit here on earth. Mm-hmm. And and if I can be a help to that, like I need to do that. Yeah. It's a responsibility. Yeah. Because I'm not when I when I look at my life, I've worked really hard and I've had a ton of people love on me and mm-hmm. help me out yeah. that look like, you know, all across the board, all kinds of people. Yeah. So um but I'm not arrogant enough to just think that I'm just this amazing drummer and uh if I told you <laughs> experiences that I've had, especially this past year, 2016, it doesn't make any sense at all. And I just know that I'm in position um, because I understand it's a responsibility. So, mm, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And and uh, again, uh, we're going to try and do some sort of a roundtable yeah. uh, here in Nashville and and talk more in depth about some of these things and share some of those stories. I'm excited to do that, man. Yeah. And I'm glad you're here, dude. That's awesome, man. I, yeah. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm yeah. a fan of, I'm a fan of the podcast. So thank it's you. Cool, thank man. you. And it's 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 gonna be good to get to know you and uh people that do know you just just speak very highly of you as a That's person. Awesome. You know, beyond your yeah. drumming. Yeah. Beyond your drumming and into who you are as an individual. Including uh, Matt Thomas Schumacher who says hello. Oh cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool. <laughs> um, All right. So what's up, Matt? <laughs> um well let's talk about what you've been doing this year and then yeah. we'll get some background. You've okay. been playing drums with Little Big Town. Yeah. As of twenty fifteen. Yep. Yeah. Okay. 
So um, sometimes I like to talk about like what's going on right now, and of course it's almost the new year. Uh, we're gonna this will come out in a couple weeks, so it'll okay. be January when people hear this. But your 2016 has been good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay, <laughs> it's pretty good, man. Well, can you talk about some things that have happened? Well, first of all, we were. Uh, we were on the Luke Bryan tour, so we did that tour 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, that was amazing. Uh, also, Girl Crush was kind of peaking, yeah. uh, the last single. And we did a ton of TV and just supporting that song. And it was crazy experience. I mean, like doing the Billboard Awards and yeah. all of the award shows and just seeing how that song affects people was really cool. Um, some unexpected things that happened. I had no clue about. Um, we actually recorded a record with Pharrell Williams. Really? Yeah. And that was a crazy experience because he was a huge, he's a huge hero, hero of mine. So it was yeah. cool to work with him and kind of just sit in a room in a studio as much as I could, just sit behind him and watch him work. So yeah. that was great. And um, we also recorded Little Big Towns, um, their country record, which is coming out in February. It's called The Breaker. Mm. So I'm. We did that one with Jay Joyce, and okay. and I and I thank God that they they opened the door and let me play on the records, which is rare, and I appreciate it. It is a rare thing, yeah. and for a lot of people who don't know yeah. uh, that that is changing, uh, yeah. which is awesome. Uh, but for the lo- for a long time, you would have the band would back up an artist on the road and be the tour band, yeah. and then you'd have quote-unquote, session players playing on the record. And it'd mm-hmm. be like uh, a, a small handful of drummers that would play on every record. Yeah. And now more artists are using the band that they have. They may be on the cover of their record. Yeah. They may be in their videos mostly. But there is a they're surrounding themselves with musicians that they trust. And so a band like Little Big Town... And Brad Paisley mm-hmm. and some of these other groups are using their musicians that are on board. Yeah. I think it's a cool thing, man. It is a cool thing, it's man. A really cool yeah, thing. I'm excited. So this record isn't out yet? No. 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 It'll be out February twenty fourth. Okay. Believe. Yeah. All right. We just we actually just finished it like maybe a week and a half ago. <laughs> so Oh we, wow. and, we, and we worked we it was basically a whole year worth of kind of going in and you know tracking some tunes and mm-hmm. i don't know which ones will make the record or not but how many songs did you record ooh, i think we, we wanted up 17 or 18 total wow and i don't know what they're going to cut it down to but yeah um it'll be interesting to see how it how it how it turns out take and, shape and how did that experience differ than F- pharrell Ooh, um polar opposites okay <laughs> so with pharrell it was more of a so the first time I come into the studio and Pharrell's there, we were at the studio in Nashville. I want to say it was Blackbird. I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. I was just super excited. In Berry Hill. Yeah. It, yeah. It, I was just really excited because it was a last minute text. And I, I didn't know that they were going to use me on the records at all. I wasn't expecting that. I know they'd done it in the past with Seth, the mm-hmm. old drummer. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that I had gained that trust yet. Mm-hmm. So um, it was a last minute thing. Pharrell just like, can, can we use your guys' band? And they and I and I got a text from Karen. Can you come to the studio now? And I was like, I'll be there in forty five minutes. So yeah. I went in, and and the way that he works, he kind of has an idea for the drums, and he's just like, Hey, this is the pattern. Um, and the way that we recorded that record is is, is linear in a sense of like uh, 
So I just kind of play the beat as if it was programmed. Gotcha. And I might stack another drum part or a brush part over it. Mm-hmm. But um, it wasn't it wasn't like tracking in like a more of a country tune where like the drums from- are responding to the song and like mm-hmm. the bridge is here, the chorus is here. Mm-hmm. It was more of a hey, this is the groove. Make this feel like heaven. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's a song called One Dance, and I, and I literally walked in the studio and Pharrell's like, hey. Me and you are going to take over the radio. You're not going to play the snare. You're just going to play kick and hi-hat. Make it feel amazing. And I was like, all right, done. Wow. And I, I put a snare on the bridge, but the whole song is, yeah. is, is uh, it's just kick and hi-hat. And, you know, that, that was cool and challenging in that way. Um, Do you nah, remember the pattern? Well, I, I it was more did. of a, you ever heard that song? No, 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 no. I think, uh, I miss you. Um Oh yeah, stones. Yeah. So I was thinking that when I when I tracked it. Yep. That's the, that's the groove. I just throw that. But the breakdown part is just kicking hi hat. Yeah. But I made that like that whole song. So yeah. one dance is got that stones feel. Like yeah, that's yeah. where it is. But uh, that was it was cool to experience and, and then watch him kind of put it all together. And uh, he's great with melody and he was it was really cool to see him and LBT kind of. Like bounce off each other with lyrics mm-hmm. and like you know he's so off the wall you know it's, it's crazy <laughs> That's awesome. and uh, I mean we were we were in L A once recording with him and Justin Timberlake was in the other room what and it's just as it's just as as a uh, random as like Justin comes in listens to a track and and Pharrell's like hey man you want to get on, you want to get on this song and Justin's <laughs> like yeah why not so he winded up kind of like vocal producing and like really kind of producing one of the tunes that we were creating at the time. Wow. And it, it was just it was just really fun. And I'm just sitting here like, how like how did I get in this room right now? <laughs> like so, but it, it was really cool, man. Um now with Jay Joyce, that record took it's taken it took more time. With Jay Joyce with Little Big Town. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. But we were kind of doing the records at the same time. We finished the Pharrell one first, but like I said, we just finished the one with Jay. Jay um, we were, it's a typical Nashville thing we, we, that we get some demos, a lot of acoustic, and then Jay would just kind of have a vision, and he and he might come to me like, "Hey man, what do you think?" And for me, like that 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 was just like a, it was a playground, you know, because mm-hmm. he's got all kind all kinds of drum kits in there, mm-hmm. and and he's going for weird tones. Is this at Blackbird as well? well no, so Jay has a church. Oh, okay, literally a church. Yeah, it's just a church. And I tracked drums in the pulpit, <laughs> literally. And we did, and, and, and you know, they will have like LBT's vocal where the pews would be, yeah. And uh, you know, John Thomason playing bass, standing on a chair in front of the pulpit, and Evan Weatherford playing just wherever, you know, yeah. him standing on a chair. We just kind of, you know, do it like that. But um, and how far in advance did you get the demos? The day of, day of, day of. So it, it's uh, Jay actually doesn't. He doesn't encourage a ton of uh, thinking about what we're gonna do. Right. right. It's more um, just, hey man, we're gonna do this right now. What do you feel? Yeah. You know what's speaking to you. What's the first thing that comes yeah. to you? Yeah. Which is usually the best. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and you know he he might have some critiques, but um, I'm really excited about the grooves that I got to play. You know, um, cool. And the tones, like we would sit with his his team. He's got a team of guys, <laughs> Jason and the team of guys and we were literally literally spend the first two or three hours just working on drum tones. Mm-hmm. So the tones you hear on the record, that's what it sounded like in a church, 
you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it was just a cool experience, man. And uh, and Jay, he'll get on you, you know what I mean? He, yeah. He'll push you past your comfort zone, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Because uh, to be honest, and, I, and I'm just going to say this, man, just to encourage people, the first record that I ever played on was Pharrell's. The first song that I recorded with Pharrell was the third song I had, I had recorded in my entire life. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. Me? So, wow. you know, I, uh, you know, I, the, it's a good place to start. Yeah, it, it was really cool. <laughs> it was really cool. But what I also did um, at the top of the year because I knew it was a possibility I could be recording, I went and I spent. I called my buddy Miles McPherson. He's a, he's mm-hmm. a great drummer in town recording drummer. Yeah. I said, Miles, man, I need to get on the recording side of this thing. Like, I got a thousand bucks. What do you think I should do? I'm standing in Guitar Center right now. And he said, man, keep your money and just save up until you can buy some, you know, valuable gear. Yeah. And I and I said, okay, Miles, I hung up the phone and then I, w- I went and bought the cheapest mics that I could. Totally ignore what he told me. <laughs> man, I just, I just took that thousand dollars and, and, and and I asked a bunch of questions, and I got an interface, and I got the cheapest mics I could find, and a couple, you know, mic stands, just enough to get started. Yep. But what I wanted to do was prove to myself that I could do this, yes. you know, because I I feel like um, in my spirit, God was like pulling me to kind of go down this road. I didn't know about the frail thing. I didn't know if LBT would use me with Jay, but I felt like I wanted to do it. And to do my part, to be ready for what he had for me, yes, it took me, you know, getting in, getting in the studio, which was my house, yeah, putting, hooking up some mics, figuring out, you know, okay, this is the snare mic, this is the top snare mic, what what input is that, and yeah. spending a bunch of time doing that and seeing how the drums respond yeah. under the mics, yeah, and kind of, I when I started, I would just make up some music, like track something, try to play with it, then listen back, whoa, that's a little ahead. Mm-hmm. It's a little on top, or okay, this feels this kind of groove feels better if I sit it back mm-hmm. because a lot of times what you think in your mind is different than the way that it comes across yep. Yep. once you're in a red, yep. you know. So, no, that's real important, and and that's the thing that modern drummers have at their beck and call, yes, is technology. Yeah. Yep. And as much as I'm so guilty of this, wanting to spend practice time just the, getting at it. Yeah, yeah, that's where I am right now. Yeah, and, 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 and yeah. breaking a sweat. Yeah, and getting that, getting that feeling uh, of playing. Uh, and sometimes when time is at a premium, I just need to sit down and play. Yeah. But when you practice, you want to grow. You want to make progress. Yeah. And so taking the time to hit the space bar, record, play a little bit, stop, turn, look back at the computer. Go back. You're spending minutes, time. Like stop. You know, you stop playing and you're listening. That's growing. Mm-hmm. That's practicing. It's hard for me to accept it, but that is practicing. Yes, it is. It really is. Uh, and and I think it's important. Um, as a, as I've gotten older, mm-hmm. I've realized number one for being a national, it's about the song. You know, and a lot of times we spend a lot of time practicing things that may not be applicable to playing great drums for songs you know yeah, yeah. now a lot of that comes from we grew up watching maybe Vinny Cal Uta or something mm-hmm, it's like or mm-hmm. Dave and it's like man I, I want to play like that I want I want to be able to speak like that and phrase like that but what has happened for me which I think was huge I found some other heroes like Aaron Sterling mm-hmm. he speaks to me mm-hmm. so 
when I get when I started diving into Aaron, and I'm like, why, why, what do I like about what Aaron's yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I started to take responsibility for my inspiration, which I feel like is a huge thing. Yeah. I'm like, let me dive in. So Aaron is he's a great studio drummer. Yeah, and and that's why he speaks to me. He, he phrases he, the way that he phrases it never gets in a way, but it always captures the energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I, I, I listen to like Sarah Bareilles every day. Her, her last record, me too, he, man. He, he he crushed it, and and he's got like a lot of t- he's got a ton of videos online about recording and like how to get certain tones, and that's practicing as well. Yeah. And yeah, and and for me, what I like to do is make people's song come to life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love to play drums. Mm-hmm. But for me, I like to be support. Like that that's yes. where my heart is. That's my personality. So yes. mm-hmm. I, I mean, it might not be as fun as like working out a syncopation and like seeing what you can do with it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But it's applicable knowledge to you working. <laughs> it's applicable knowledge to you uh, to like an artist being able to look back and enjoy what I'm doing. And and what I've learned is it, it really changed my uh my playing a ton, doing a lot more recording. Yeah. So yeah. So are you doing more home recording now? Man, it it's crazy because I got on a website called Air Gigs. I yep, don't know if you've I heard saw of that. This. I saw that. And I, I just looked at it. I I I honestly one of my buddies told me about it. And honestly, for me, it was a way for me to convince my wife that I can go spend this thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, I'm like, man, I can uh, I can get on this website and kind of um you know, I can track songs for people wherever they are. Is this the voice you use for your wife? Yeah, that's my yeah, you voice. You changed yeah. it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm okay. like, you know, that's my convincing voice. Yeah, okay, okay like, I get it. When I'm trying to get something done. I so, understand. yeah, I'm like, yeah, I, babe, I can, you know, this song, this website is great. I got my profile up. They have, People have to pay me before I even know about it. Yeah. And I track their songs, and I'll make this bunny back. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I had no clue. But I got on that website, and work started to come in. And the cool thing about that site is you get reviews, you know, and I got some positive reviews yeah. early in yeah. it. And it kind of snowballed and, and I had like return customers. So while I'm recording with Pharrell, like we would go out to LA whenever we had a break from tour. And then we started the J record. And mm-hmm. so I'm I'm doing both those records. And in the middle of it, kind of keeping the glue, I was getting a ton of air gigs. Mm. And and I and with the air gigs, I was able to kind of like you know, touch the walls in a sense. And like, mm-hmm. well, what happens if I play this over this groove mm-hmm. with not as, I don't want to say with not as much consequence because I really value, you know, the work that people were sending me. No, but, I know what you're saying, but I mean, it doesn't have the weight. Yeah. Right I mean, Pharrell's not next door and and Jay's not in the drum room with me, you know? And so <laughs> it, was, it was cool to kind of see what I can do. And, and for me, it was getting my chops up, you know? So, well, have you ever experienced this when, because when I record at home, I don't have somebody saying, that's it, that's that's the one. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh man, I know I can do better. And then 17 takes later. Oh I'm yeah. Like, so how do you deal with that? Do you give yourself a stop gap? You're like, this is it. Uh, my deadline, because a lot of times it's like three days, but I, gotcha. I'm i I'm really, um, really obsessed with... I do I'll do twenty takes, twenty something takes of these songs, mm-hmm. and it's the simplest thing. Yeah. But, um, for me, it's you know to go from good to great, or even not as good to good, you have to like be able to focus and, and like people who are really good at something, they see little details. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So once you get into take twenty four, I'm still learning, and I'm really excited about that because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh man. 
every time I listen, I find something different in the track. Yeah. And, it, and then those things become chops. And then like, they, like you know, like when you learn a paradiddle, you learn how to put it around a kit. Mm-hmm. When you're listening to the 24th take, mm-hmm. the things that you learn that are better than your first take, those become chops. And, yeah, and, and, yeah. and discover and, something about yeah. yourself. And that's why Aaron Sterling's playing is attractive. That's mm-hmm. why Steve Jordan's playing is attractive for mm-hmm. J.J. Johnson because – and it's like, man, they're doing something really simple. I, I, I can play that beat. Mm-hmm. But when you sit down and play with it, you're like, wait, this doesn't feel the same. Right. You know? right. But that's because they're into the deep takes in a sense. You know what I mean? They're, yeah. they're or they've been, been, or, or they've, they're in the deep takes, takes of their life. Right, right, right. You know? yep. So when Steve Jordan lays down that groove that you know he's done a thousand times, yeah. he's doing it for the thousandth time, yeah. <laughs> that first take. Yep. Yep. Yeah, where a lot of us are, we're we're making up for lost time. Yep. Well, can you just give a, a brief rundown of the rig that you have now and how that works? Well, I mean, without I, going into great tech detail. Or, yeah. Well, I I bought like um, what do you a Focusrite interface? Okay. And then my buddy, my buddy Lester. And then, you know, you got you to go to your friends, just like when yeah, you're trying to learn the yeah. chops. Like, I used to go to Keo or, yeah. you know, call freaking Kevin Murphy and be like, yo, what, when you play this on a record, now it's regarding recording equipment. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I got some 57s, mm-hmm. and uh, someone told me that I can kind of use those on everything. Yeah. So, I do. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I got the focus right. My, my buddy Lester, we just added a, a personas to it. So now I have more than eight inputs. Okay. So I have like, you know, multiple things. And, and uh, I have what Lester likes to call a GAC mic. I'll just use some random mic on the floor and we blow it out. And uh, we, we put up room mics and, and uh, that, it's a really simple setup. I don't have like pre's outside of, um, yeah, outside of what are in my interface, but what I've learned is people most of the time when you're recording drums at home, they don't need your uh, creative input in the audio. You know what I mean? They just want a lot of times people. I, mean, I just they want, want raw drum, tracks, raw drum tracks, so they can. And that's that is the the question. It's like, what do I do with this stuff? How do I how do I tweak it? How do I yeah. sweeten it? Like you don't. They yeah. want your performance yeah. that they can't. Uh, recreate on a drum machine or samples. That's yeah. why they're calling you. Otherwise, yep. they wouldn't call you. Yep. And uh, and then they'll do with it what they want. Because yeah. we've all recorded on records where somebody's done something with our tracks. You're like, why did they do that? Yep. It's like, I It was a ton of that. <laughs> it was a t- even a ton of that this year. Yeah. But, I mean... When you get it back, you're like, where's my Tom? Yeah. Or where's my ghost notes? <laughs> you know, yeah. things like that. But that's up to them. And it's time for you to take your hands off. You did yeah. your job. Hey, man, great job. We, we cleaned up your left hand. Yeah. There's a lot of chatter going on there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. great. Yeah, man. totally. Here's it, my chat. Yeah. I'm always talking to LBT's, the audio guys. I got a buddy named um, Josh Reynolds, and he told me something that just, it, it it just blew my world. He's like, dude, listen, there's a huge learning curve to this thing. So when something becomes a problem, that's when you buy something new. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. So don't, don't go out and start trying to buy pre's and like you know mm-hmm. all these expensive mics when your ears can hear the difference because that's a learning curve as well i for me i didn't i didn't know anything about recording it's, drums it's like voice training yeah yeah so so it does it didn't make sense for me to you know 
go spend a bunch of money that I just didn't have mm-hmm. or, or, or sit back and wait, you know, mm-hmm. because I've gotten the ball rolling now because I, I, I because I jumped in, you yeah, know, yeah. and I'm learning about myself and the way that I respond and like the things that I don't like, <laughs> the things that I, you know, dig. Right, and, right, you right, know. right. Well, we didn't, when we, when we were young, we didn't wait until we could buy like an expensive DW kit to start doing gigs. You're right. You play gigs. You weren't exactly. like I'm not leaving the house until this major artist calls me. No, you you, yeah. you jumped in, and then you You're developed. Right. You know totally what I mean. Right. So why is it that when it comes to recording, now I get the argument that you can kind of you you want to protect your reputation, right? But I think it's more important if you make it about you chasing skill, mm-hmm. then all of those things will take care of itself. That's that's kind of what I kind of try to hang my hat on. Well, we try and come up with excuses. We're like, I'm not really ready for this. And, and, yeah. and so stuff never happens <laughs> yeah. and life will overtake you. Yep. It's time to just jump in and, and yeah. as I, I tell my kids, just grip it and rip it, man. Yeah. Just do it. So yeah, that's good. to decide. That's good. That's good, <laughs> man. And, and even, you know, I'll say this one piece about it, like financially, um, it's getting harder and harder. I feel like to kind of just be a live guy mm. and uh, have a ton of resources. I'll say that you know because yeah. that's just the way that it is. But if you can kind of support what you do live yeah. at home, yeah. And confidence wise, I feel like every drummer has something to offer. You know what I mean? So don't feel like, oh man, I can't play like Aaron Sterling. So who's gonna want me to record mm-hmm. or whatever? You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just about the way that you speak, and and someone can use that. There are mm-hmm. tons of people who need their problem solved, mm-hmm. so just mm-hmm. do it. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's interesting that you say that about making a living just as a live drummer. And man, you've got a you've got a killer gig. Yeah, yeah. and so it that that means a lot coming yeah. from you. Yeah, you know, you're playing with a very well established uh, artist group. Uh, that has been around for a long time. So it's yeah. kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's go back. You're from Detroit. Yep. And um, just kind of when did drums happen for you? Well, my dad was a drummer. He was a professional drummer, touring drummer. And uh, I don't remember when I started playing because I just wanted to be like him. He was yeah. uh, he was. He was the man in my eye. I love the way people treated him. Um, mm. Like everyone loved my dad, mm. and uh, he was just well respected. And as a young boy, I kind of felt like, well, yeah, I dig that. Mm-hmm. And he played drums, so that it spoke to me. And, mm-hmm. and my my grandfather bought me, would buy me drums and stuff like that. But my dad actually didn't want me to play at all. Mm. So he did not teach me one thing. <laughs> he he did everything in his power to kind of steer me to sports or football. I was big into football. And, it's uh, like or, Zach Starkey. Yeah, he's like, man, you know, which I understand. I had a chip on my shoulder growing up because he wouldn't teach me things. And I literally didn't play with other players until I was 21. I played in a room by myself, like just like kind of in my head, just playing mm-hmm. drums. Mm-hmm. Um, But – I had a chip on my shoulder because, you know, he wouldn't teach me certain things. But in his mind, he wanted me to go to college. Mm-hmm. He dropped out of high school to play in the jazz band, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and he didn't want the kind of like up and down financial situation for yeah. me and my family. I understand. And I I mean, I totally get it now. And now he's super proud of me and like he's really supportive. But I also have my degree. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if if I couldn't play drums, you know, 
I can still stand and take care of my family. Yeah. But uh, man, I was always just kind of watching him practice, mm-hmm. and I and and he's all about grooving, and he plays like his personality. Mm-hmm. Like he's a very demanding, disciplined man. He's very loving. Mm-hmm. He's very creative. He's funny, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, he plays like that. Yeah. And and when I hear him play now, I'm totally just a, a knockoff of him. Yeah, um, that's but awesome. I just kind of grew up more in Nashville, so I kind of mm-hmm. got a. I'm a product of Nashville. I feel like sure, sure, with sure. my dad's fingerprint, and it's yeah. really cool to watch him play. Um, very, and that served you well, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. It's uh, it, it, it's crazy, man. Like it almost because I hadn't heard him play in a while, and a few months back, I was listening to him play in the garage. And it, and it just brought me to tears because I could totally see, like the things that the positive feedback I get about my playing, it was it was just my dad, you know, mm-hmm. because I wasn't around other drummers. Well, let me ask you about that. One yeah. of the questions I ask people is, what's kind of the, one of the most common compliments that you get? Um, and and is there something about that you said that the things that people say or describe something about your playing that reminds you of your dad as well? Is there one of those things? Uh, I I get a ton of. And I'm really grateful. Uh, pocket and groove, because <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, those things mean the most to me. You yeah, know, I get yeah. a, a ton of that. Um, and and that also comes from because my dad was a professional working drummer. Yes, he at a very young age. I mean, he wouldn't teach me anything, but I can remember when I was eight. Like literally, this might be the only sentence he's ever said to me until I was an adult. <laughs> I mean, he could teach me now, but mm-hmm. I came downstairs and I was playing in the attic. And I don't know, can you curse on the podcast? I don't know. You totally can. But my dad was like, I don't know why you're playing all that shit. And I was like, I'm like, uh, what am I, what you mean? He's like, none of that matters. You know why I work? And he and I still remember the groove. He said, the reason why I work is because when I play, when I play that, you feel that. Mm-hmm. And it's got an energy in it. He's like, that's all that matters for playing drums. Like, mm-hmm. and, um, and that really stuck with me. Yeah. So that and just the limitations that I, I didn't know how to develop on drums. Mm-hmm. I didn't take lessons back then. I went to school later in life. But mm-hmm. um, so for me, I just like literally would go and play beats mm-hmm. by myself. Mm-hmm. And looking back, I thank God because that's what my game is now. You yeah. know, I have a certain sound because I literally didn't play with other people until I was 21. So I spent a ton of time just if I heard a groove, I would just go play it. Um, if I watched my dad, I would just go, I'm like, okay, he's playing that groove with that band. Yeah. And I would just go try to mimic it, you know, yeah. or a night show. I was always about the night. That's the only time I could see live drummers. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, that, and then I got a Carter Beaufort tape in high school and it was over, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, so there was no teachers no. at that point. Okay. Um, was, was there music you were playing along with? A lot of Earth, Wind & Fire. My grandfather was, uh, and I had an uncle. Um, who really exposed me to a lot of great music, uh, a lot of incognito, a lot of mint condition, mm. um, a lot of parliament. And my family was big on just listening to, listening to music at all times. It was always mm-hmm. some music, I mean, bumping. My dad, actually, he was, um, he moved to California and he was Dr. Dre's session drummer for a, a while and he wanted to move his family out there, but he decided to, he cut that plan and he came home and that's when he quit being a touring drummer. Mm. But while he was out there, I mean, I was getting like Dr. Dre's the chronic. I got that before it came out or like above the rim. 
and like all of the Tupac stuff because my dad didn't know what he played on because his job was just to go in the studio, kind of just play and Dre would maybe cut it, cut it up, maybe not mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. So tons of rap music growing up and my, my I mean, my parents would, they were big into like, you, you know, what's right from wrong. We don't, they didn't care about the lyrics. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, even today I listen to my sound is more of a very heavy pocket, like, you know, a Dre beat. Mm. Cause I grew up right with that kind of sound in my ears for drums. You know, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what spoke to my parents and when we were hanging out. That's what we listened to, you know? Yeah. 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 So, so yeah. in school, uh, and you say you went to college Yeah, and you played football. Yeah. How involved in music were you at that point? Well, the only reason I moved to Nashville was to play football at Middle Tennessee State. I didn't even know it was Music City. <laughs> didn't know. And and I and I grew up, and most of my family was Jehovah's Witnesses, so I didn't ever go to church. Yeah. And one day, one of my buddies, he tripped me. He's like, man, what are you doing on Sunday? Yeah. And uh, I was like, nothing, man, what's up? And he's like, dude, come to church with me. And I was like, dude, I've never been to church. You know, I don't know about, you know, <laughs> you guys got music playing. I don't know about all that. Yeah. But uh, I wound up going. I got saved at that church, and a year later, I started playing drums in that church. So that was kind of the beginning of uh, like playing in college. I still wasn't playing very many gigs. I didn't have time with football. Mm-hmm. But um, I would practice literally all day, every day. If I wasn't, I would wake up in the morning, I had a drum set in my room. I lived in the house, and I would just play. Mm. Go to class, lift weights. Go to football practice, come back to the room, and play. Wow! Because for me, I had spent my whole life in a room by myself. So once I had the outlet of being like, "Oh man, on Sunday I get to play with Mike. He plays organ, and Jason plays bass," and, and so it, it kind of just sparked like this. It was like I was a child again at twenty-one, and I feel like this that was, was the huge. time when you played with people. Yeah. Gotcha. So so I, I, any opportunity I got to play, I was just really grateful for it. And uh, I feel like, and I would love to talk about this because I feel like, man, I had a childlike um, like zeal for playing anything. And I didn't publish myself. I didn't feel like, you know, I didn't get my feelings hurt when I didn't get certain opportunities because I felt like, man, I'm behind anyway. So it was all a catch up, you know. Mm. I didn't have any ego and I still don't because I just felt like, man, I'm just now starting you know, yeah, and I yeah. feel like that served me well as an adult. Yeah, because ego kind of gets in a way of you know, it just gets in a way of of uh, opportunities a ton and relationships and you know it's just not attractive and interpersonal. It can yeah. it can be very damaging. Yeah. Can, yeah, yeah, yeah. So because I was a sponge, I took everything in, yeah. and um, I think that was huge. Yeah. So that's when I kind of started playing, and then when I got done with football. And and I, you know, I, I totally thought I would be playing in the NFL, but when that didn't happen, after I got over it, I just stayed in Nashville. Good. <laughs> I stayed. I mean, I've I've moved a couple places. Like I went back to school in L.A. And uh, I was gonna say, yeah. uh, I, I put this down. L.A. Music Academy. Yeah, yeah. What was that like, what dude? Was that? It was amazing. So I was literally 20 i was 26 mm-hmm. and uh, i was kind of playing some gigs here and there um practicing a ton but i didn't feel like i was growing yeah at the rate that i wanted to grow sure um and i didn't i you know 
I saw I was sitting in Bourbon Street one night and Pat McDonald walked in. He sat in and he played Come Together mm-hmm. and he played a drum solo and it just blew my face off. And I was like, you know what? If I want to, if I want to seriously do this thing for a living, and I and I want to like you know take care of my family doing this, I need to have the wow factor. Mm-hmm. I need to have a command over my instrument like 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 he does. Mm-hmm. So man, like two days later, it was like I, I was up at uh, I was up watching like TV one or something. It was two o'clock in the morning, and Macy Gray came on TV, and a drummer was this guy named Sean Horton. I didn't know him at the time, mm-hmm. but he spoke to me. It was almost like. Oh my! Every everything, every note that he played spoke to me, and his groove was just infectious. So I went on MySpace at the time, and I looked up his uh his bio, and it was like you know Sean Horton's from New York. He moved to L.A. to go to L.A. Music Academy, where he learned how to read. Mm-hmm. I was done. <laughs> I was like, okay, wow. wow. Well, I want this. I've yeah. made up my mind that I want this, and whatever it takes for me to do, I'm willing to do it. Yeah. And whatever he did to 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 be that special, to to have his fingerprint that loud, you know, yeah, and he yeah, says, yeah. I'm going to do it. So the next day I called the school, I got some information and I saw that you can get a scholarship. So I made a quick video with some buddies and I got a scholarship to go there. And I had an uncle that lived out there. So I just moved out to LA and I, and I slept on his couch for a year and went to school and I learned how to read. I studied with Ralph Humphreys and it was great. I learned how to like dissect a song. Did you, you know? meet Sean? Yeah, yeah, I met Sean. He actually for the first time this year we got to hang out. Uh, oh, I mean, I'm 33 wow. now, but we got to like actually hang out. But um, and I still he's still kind of like my guy. He he's he I I, I watch him every day, yeah. and I, he's like kind of of a compass for me. Yeah, yeah. But uh, man, I went out there when I, once I learned how to read. It was just like oh man. And it's funny because I wound up playing less notes <laughs> because I'm like, well, these things matter and I could do that, but I don't. When I came home from LA Music Academy, career wise, I kind of still didn't know what I wanted to do. I literally it was a it was a Monday It's January 4th. It was a Monday, 2010. Uh-huh. And on Tuesday, I you know, I had some friends in Atlanta and uh, I kind of I wasn't in the country music scene yet. Mm-hmm. I had a bunch of stigma. I was like, man, I don't know. I don't really see anyone who looks like me. I don't know. I need to go somewhere else. So I had a buddy, and I was gonna go play acoustic guitar at this church in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, I was gonna audition on a Tuesday. So that Monday, I go to Twelfth and Porter, and I'm hanging out with some friends, and uh, I was having a conversation about IHOP. I was like, I was like, dude, it's your birthday. Let's go to IHOP. This is heavy, man. Yeah. <laughs> so this this guy comes from the back door at 12th and Porter, and he gets on the stage. He just walks in. It's like it's around midnight, mm-hmm. and the show's over. So there's there's no music playing. There's about 50, 60 people still in the club. Um, they're packing up. I didn't play. I was just coming to see like some friends play. So he gets on the stage and he gets in the mic. And he's like barking something, screaming. And he's got like a tall can of beer in his hand. And I'm like, this is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. I wonder where security is. They should probably get this guy. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so when no one was paying attention to him, he pulled out the biggest knife I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It looked like a machete. And and I remember thinking like, man, how did he pull that out of his pants? Mm. And he gets off the stage. Now... 
it's about maybe 10 or 15 of us kind of cornered near the front of the stage. Do you remember what he was talking about at all? or is No it just... clue what he was talking about. Gotcha. I just remember him yelling, y'all don't want to F with me. You don't want to. Mm-hmm. I'll kill every single one of y'all in here right now and no one do anything about it. And I, obviously he was under the influence of something. And mm-hmm. uh, so he gets off the stage, slices the beer can and makes a barrier on the ground with the beer. And I, I'm like, okay, no, no security is going to come and save us right now. And it was almost like our energy attracted each other. Cause I'm like, man, there's, there's women around me. Um, Physically, I have a ton of confidence. I'm a football player. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I got to stop this guy. I don't really know how this is going to go down. But if I don't do it, he's just going to start swinging his knife and hitting people, you know? Yeah. But it was almost like he was reading my thoughts and he walked right in my face and he put the knife up to my head. So I thought about when me and my brother were young. It was weird. This happens when you get into traumatic experiences. <laughs> so. When me and my brother were young, we were like eight and seven. We were watching Power Rangers, and the Red Ranger, like this, like one of the monsters came up to him and he put something up to his head. And the Red Ranger, he acted really calm, mm-hmm. and then he grabbed the monster's arm, and the weapon came out of his arm. Yeah. And so I remember saying, "If this ever happened to me, this is what I, that's what that's what I'm gonna do." So I tried to be really calm, and when he put the knife up to my head, in my mind, I'm like, "Red Ranger, grab his arm. He'll drop it." So when I grabbed his arm. I kind of I jumped on him. I grabbed his arm, put it in the air. He didn't drop the knife, but we were already engaged. So I'm like, okay, this is gonna happen. It's gonna happen, yeah. So he just started jabbing me like anywhere he could. Yeah. Um. He I had on a coat. Yeah. Thank God, had on a leather coat, fake leather coat, but it was pretty thick. Yeah, right. And he's just he was aiming for my stomach. I didn't. uh, Because I was trying to swing too. I didn't know, you know, if I was getting hit or not. Yeah. And my adrenaline was pumping. Yeah. But I noticed I was bleeding. Mm. So when I noticed I was bleeding, I kind of pushed I pushed away from him. And he was looking at me like he couldn't believe what he'd done, you know. But he was still really amped up. And I looked at my hand, and it was just like slice right down the middle. And the first thing I thought about was, how am I going to take care of myself? You know, I, I didn't have a ton of gigs. I wasn't making a ton of money, but... The only thing I've ever done was play drums for a living, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I was kind of freaking out, man. I was stumbling around the club. He went back yelling at a bunch of other people, and I tried to stumble. I stumbled out the front door, and and uh, thank God there was a police officer on a traffic stop on Broadway. Oh, wow. So, I, I, uh, I thought that I was running to his car. <laughs> um, so... The crazy thing is this guy chased me to the police car. He gets arrested and an ambulance picks me up. And I noticed that, it, I mean, it literally felt like someone took a bucket of water and poured it down my pants, like, but it was blood. And uh, my God. they cut my, my clothes off in the ambulance. And once I got to the hospital and I got cleaned up, the doctor's like, man, you only have two wounds, which is amazing. The the first one is in your femur. So he, he got me in, in the side of the leg and it nicked my femur bone. It's pretty bad, but wow. I could recover from it. Yeah. He said the issue is, you know, when he sliced your hand, you uh, he cut a tendon. So he cut the tendon to my pinky finger. Okay. So it was just kind of stuck. Which hand? Straight out my left hand. Your left hand. Uh-huh. So, and I'm left-handed actually. Oh, okay. But, um, 
So he cut the tendon, but my pinky was just like stuck straight out. And he's like, man, you need to get immediate surgery. Mm -hmm. Um, I can fix it. He's like, you know, I got a guy that can fix it, but you won't ever regain uh, motion of the pinky finger. But if you get this surgery, you'll have control of the other fingers somewhat. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if if you cut a tendon, they all kind of connect here and they roll up together. Yeah. At the bottom of your hand, and I would lose complete control. And I was like, man, whatever you got to do. <laughs> now, at the time, I didn't have insurance. I didn't have money to get it done. But um, you don't think about that stuff. You don't think about that stuff, man. And you can't. I was blessed to have a, a ton of friends uh, have a benefit concert for me like that next week. Mm. And they kind of helped me get into the surgery and, you know, pay for some things. Um, so I got the surgery, and uh, the doctor's like, man, it's going to take about a year. But when you come back, you will be able to hold a drumstick. You might have to learn to play different, mm-hmm. you know, a different technique. But uh, you will come back. Mm-hmm. So now I'm not going to lie. The first month, <laughs> man, I lost everything. I-, I-, I lost my apartment at the time. I had to sell my truck. No, first I had to sell my drums to pay my car note. Then I had to sell my car to to just make it to make oh it to gosh. the next step. But gosh. you know, the way that I I figured it out for me, I feel like I was chosen to be in that situation because I have a support system. My parents live; they moved down to Tennessee as well. I'm, I, I moved in with my parents, mm-hmm. and it, and it wasn't fun, but. I had somewhere to go. I literally sat on a couch for six months Mm. and I got a chance to evaluate my life and figure out, man, what do I want out of this music thing? Mm -hmm. Like I want to get married one day. I want to have children. I want to, I want to tour. I want to like take care of my family and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I want to help people, you know, like that's huge to me. I want to, I'm a motivated person. I want to motivate people and I, and I'm going to do these things. Yeah. So, but when I reevaluated, when I had time to sit down, I was forced to sit down and I had to work up my technique. I mean, I went from grabbing sand to playing with like tennis balls. And I, you know, when I was able to pick up a stick again, it was just, I was just elated, you know. Wow. But what I decided to do was like, man, you know what? I don't care if people don't look like me. I don't care if it's country music. Yeah. I don't care what it is, dude. When I get healthy, I'm going downtown because I saw drum sets down there, yeah. And I'm and, and I'm and I'm a swing sticks as much as people will let me do it, yeah. And and I'm I'm gonna do I'm gonna do this. I'm not gonna let anything hold me back because yeah. I ha- literally have a second chance at life now. Yes, but it was literally the best thing that has ever happened to me. Well, uh, you have a quote on your when I was doing some sleuthing online, yeah, trying to get to know you a little bit better. You have a quote on your Facebook page. You have two of them. You have one from your dad, and you have one from yourself, <laughs> which I've never seen. <laughs> but it's yeah. it's very apt. Um, your quote is, you are a product of how you react to adversity. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And uh, you've come to my attention to be on this podcast, and friends are like, you've got to talk to Hubert. He's got stories, he's got things, and there's lots of things that are happening, and there's lots of stuff that he's done in the past here. He'd be perfect for the podcast. This is this this is it in a nutshell, man. This is how you've reacted to this. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, totally. Um, you know, I I, I must say, man, I've been totally blessed 
since then. Mm-hmm. I fathered three more children. I, mm-hmm. I I'm, I'm a married man, mm-hmm. and it, it's not easy. But you know, I've been set up, um, and I feel like God processed me a certain way. Mm-hmm. He didn't give me anything that I couldn't handle. He doesn't give any of us anything we can't handle. But right. Right. if you look at your, if you look at the adversity and use that to kind of push you through, it will become the thing that sustains your success. Right. You know, uh, I, I I feel like more often than not, people call me to play because they they just want to hang with me. Not saying I'm just like this like party guy, but no, I'm no, cool to be it. around. It's not necessarily about I'm gonna come in and just blaze the drum set and be incredible. You yeah, know, I'm yeah. I'm gonna do my homework and I'm gonna do a great job. But um, I think people enjoy being around me because mm-hmm. you know I understand certain things. I understand certain things personally, and that's because I've been through some very difficult things and it, and it was quite humbling mm-hmm. and uh but you don't let it affect you in a negative no, way no that's you, our decision you, yeah. right right that's, that's our that's our decision i mean i've every time something negative happens to me i i try to get excited about it because yeah. i'm like this is a process like god chastens who he loves is in a word you know what i mean mm-hmm. and if you're getting pressed in a certain way it's for development, for something amazing that's for you. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, if you feel insecure about something in your playing, if you attack that, mm-hmm. it will be the reason why someone calls you to do something. You know what I mean? Because when I look back, man, honestly, like auditioning is crazy, and I've had to audition for the last few gigs that I've had. And <laughs> when it's ten drummers auditioning, and you're standing in a hallway at sound check, it's like, well, what do you have to offer that's different? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And a lot of times with country music, it's not place for you to kind of play a bunch of notes. And a lot of artists don't even understand. They're not going to be like, oh, man, that guy's uh, independence is amazing. We need to get that drummer. <laughs> so people respond to what they feel. Yeah. So if you feel what you play, yeah. people will respond. Right. And what I try to do is like emote my life. Like mm. I love my children. I love my wife. I love my friends. I, I have some pain in my heart. I got a few chips on my shoulder, you know, and when I play, I want people to feel that, you know, mm-hmm. and when I'm listening to people's song that I'm playing behind, I'm supporting, I have so much emotional mm-hmm. baggage I can draw from mm-hmm. to kind of relate. And and I just try to be relatable in that way and speak. And yeah, yeah. I think that's what groove, that's what's attractive in groove as well, you know, life. Well, and I'm just, I'm... I'm I was going to say, I'm going to take a stab here, but that's probably the wrong word to use. <laughs> it's, it's all good. I'm cool with it. <laughs> oh, my God. You're getting inside my head, man. That's cool. Uh, Little Big Town. Yeah. I've been a fan for a long time. I yeah. like those guys a lot. Good studio performances. I know Chris McHugh is on some stuff. Yeah. Um, and great songs, great harmonies. And uh, I know Seth Roush a little bit, mm-hmm. and I've seen them live. And uh, again, I'm just trying to, I'm just making a, uh, taking a leap of faith here that uh, just in this conversation, you seem like a perfect fit for this group. Yeah. And has it, I mean, you've been with them for over a year now. Yeah. Well, yeah almost it, two has years. It, has it been? Is that, is that, you're, is you're, that true? You're dead on. You're okay. dead on. Um, and it's crazy you, you mentioned that because. And and I just want to tell this story because I feel like man, a lot of people get benefit from it. I was a huge fan of the band, right? Yeah, I was a huge Seth Roush fan. Yeah, 
And I'm really big on taking responsibility for your inspiration. Like whatever inspires you, that's part of like God's spirit giving you what you should chase. You know, that's the way I look at it. Now, Seth, I had really dove into the records. Um, I mean, I would listen to Tornado and just listen to like every, because I'm like, man, every every decision that he makes, it feels so good, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was a huge fan. So when I was with David Nail, we were... uh, we were opening up for LBT, and, and our my my buddy Blaine Blaine Reedy, he's a bass player. He knows Seth, and I was like, I was like, dude, can you introduce me to Seth? I just want to talk to him, kind of mm-hmm. get inside of his head, see how he works, you know. And he's like, sure. So I sat down with Seth in like a trailer park in the middle of somewhere, and uh, I got to talk to him, man. And the most amazing thing was how he lives as a person. He's yeah. a father of like six, yeah, and and he's a dad. He's a he's a Christian man, and I was just blown away, you know. Mm-hmm. And he listened to me play maybe three songs that night, yeah. Um, but when it came time for auditions, yeah, um, he threw my name in the hat, mm. and I have to believe that most of it was because of a connection that he saw from when we hung out. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. So because I took responsibility for my inspiration, I chased Seth mm. musically and I was inspired by him as a man. Yeah. You know, I obviously I left an impression with him. He threw my name in the hat. Um there were some other great drummers in the audition, mm-hmm. but um I, I feel like LBT, the reason why I feel like they picked me, um mainly because of my feel and I think the feel is because feel comes from uh, like your sensitivities, I believe, okay. as a person and as a player. Okay. And it, like you can't feel amazing on the drums being selfish. Mm. If you're thinking about what feel you're going to play next, mm-hmm. you, you're not going to be able to contribute to the groove. Your ears aren't going to be open enough to make the music feel amazing. Mm-hmm. I think that takes a certain type of personality to do that. Mm-hmm. And Seth noticed it in me. And before I could even talk to LBT, I, I feel like they may have felt the supportive nature of my playing, you know, mm-hmm. and that just reflects your personality, you know, uh, and that goes across their whole organization, like tons of family men in their organization. I don't think they have like a, they don't have a sheet that you have to sign. Like, how many kids do you have? Are you married? Are mm-hmm. do, you t- do you respect your wife? They don't mm-hmm. have that when you get into the organization, but they tend to surround themselves with those kinds of people. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, for management all the way down. It's crazy. It's, it's literally people that I love. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and I, I really mean that, you know, mm-hmm. it's a great atmosphere. That's amazing. Very loving. And we celebrate everyone's birthday. It's a big deal. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, it's a birthday every week and they make a big deal out of it because, I mean, they're they're sweet people, and that's and that's on and off the stage, and they set the standard, you know, and it kind of it just trickles down. So that's it's inspiring, it's amazing, yeah, amazing to be a part of. Once you recovered, you worked with lots of different artists yeah. leading up to your current gig. Yeah, uh, Casey James, uh, Joel Krause. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably my distant cousin, same spelling, which is weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, and then the, the 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 major artist gig you had before Little Big Town was David Nail. Yeah. So what happened to that? Well, uh, I was with David maybe a year and a half, two years, something like mm-hmm. that. Um, loved it. 
I, he's an amazing singer and a really good friend. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, <laughs> I guess it was November. We were in Vegas. And like I said, me and my wife, we had, at the time, we had two kids. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> my wife called me. My buddy was in the room. She's like, babe, I'm pregnant again. <laughs> and I was like, sweet. Because this yeah. is what I always wanted. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and I'm real big on living faith-based. You know what yeah. I mean? So um, I was excited. And, uh, you know, the end of the year was coming up. So I knew in November, like, I was like, whoa, this is, David was a great situation, and I was band leading. Um, Great financial situation, but I had gotten to the point with my responsibilities because my wife doesn't work. She just kind of watches the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, the only way that I could take care of my family and um, continue to play drums is if it was on the highest level possible, literally. That mm-hmm. was my... That, that that was the plan that I came up with. Yeah. So in December, I had like my year end meeting with management, and uh, you know, we talked about next year. And I and I came home and I told my wife, I said, "Babe, I gotta go. Mm-hmm. I love David. I love the situation, but financially, with us having another kid, mm-hmm. it, it was already tough. It was already tough with the kids we had. Um, I was like, you know, I prayed about it a ton." And I uh, I made a decision to position myself, put myself in position for the biggest blessing. Literally, literally, I, that that that's what I came up with. Gotcha. So what I didn't want to do was be playing with David and be kind of sending out the text fillers like, "Hey man, anybody know of any gig opening up?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't want to do that to David, and he he deserved that much respect because I because I, I love the gig, mm-hmm. and I you know. I want him to be able to find the right guy for the situation, which is Matt Iceman. He's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I, uh, I talked to David and I, I quit. Mm-hmm. And it was really difficult because I was a, <laughs> a man, a, a married man with mm-hmm. my wife not working, no job, no idea what was going to happen next with another baby on the way. And I didn't, you know, yeah. he's just stepping out on faith. So when I was clean from David, a clean break, um, I just, (laughs) I sent out maybe a few filler texts, Mm -hmm. you know, but I was willing, I was willing to do whatever it took to make it to the next step. And I was going to just believe like, you know what, I'm going to believe God that I have an amazing gift and I offer something amazing Mm -hmm. and I will find the right situation or it will find me. So I was like going to do some others. I was going to try to go back and go do some teaching, Mm -hmm. like like substitute teaching or something. Mm -hmm. I didn't know exactly what I was going to do, but I was willing to step out on faith and just, you know, put myself in position to be blessed. Yeah. And not even two weeks later, Mm -hmm. not even two weeks later, one of my buddies was like, yo, man. You heard that uh, Seth is going to Keith Urban? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no. He First he said, hey, man, are you in that Little Big Town audition? I was like, what? No. Mm-hmm. Why, would, why would Little Big Town need auditions? They got Seth. He's my guy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because Seth didn't say anything to me about it. Uh-huh. He didn't say he put my name in the hat. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, whoa, they're having auditions? That'd be cool to get a call for that gig, man. Yeah. Because I, I know exactly what I would do for that. I knew, I knew it. I knew this. I knew the music. Yeah, I've seen them live. I was a fan of the band. I've seen all the YouTube clips. Yeah. and I was like, you know what, man? If I ever got in that seat, 
<laughs> I, yeah. got, I know exactly what I would do with yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, dude, the next the next day after my buddy called me, man, I was uh, at the Music City Bowl, <laughs> and John Thomas was like, called me like, man, would you be interest, interested in auditioning for LBT? So they saw me with David. They saw me there, and Seth's referral got me in the audition. They didn't audition a bunch of guys, but um, you know, I, I was excited, and I and I was just like, whoa, like, yeah, like my God tugged on my 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 spirit was tugged to make a move. Um, it was for the right reasons, you know. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't because I was upset about like, oh man, the catering is not this, or I don't have a drum tech, or you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. it was for the right reasons. I wanted to provide for my family. Um, I felt confident in my playing. The mm-hmm. only reason I felt confident is because I'm better than I was last week because I practice every single day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. a, a, a lot of times it's hard to make a move because you're not confident. But I felt confident right. in right. like my grind. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I was just like, just you know, a football term. Yeah, yeah okay, it is. Okay. It is. <laughs> the grind is like your work, your work culture, you know. Yeah. So you know, I I believed in that, you know, and I took a step of faith, and it, it it's like being at the roulette table, man, and and, and like rolling and closing. Very your much eyes, so. Very and much. And then so. it just blowing up in your favor, because yeah. that's literally what happened. Um. I went through many phases, like the audition process, like, whoa, this is Little Big Town. They're going to get, they can get anyone they want to play drums. Mm-hmm. No telling who's going to be in this audition. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, and this will help guys because I've done a ton of auditions and I, um, I've been blessed to do well in most of them. Some of them, not so well. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I feel like if you, if you can understand that when you go in there, if it's 10 guys, you know, if you're if you're close to your fingerprint and you know who you are as a player, you're not going to sound like someone else. And just because someone doesn't pick you doesn't mean you're not good. It just means they they like McDonald's right. and not Burger King. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So don't go into it with that. Like I got to be better than this guy. Yeah. And you because, were Chick, you were Chick Fil A that day. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So it's because if you go in there with that mindset. You won't play as free because it's it's like you're, you're very pessimistic about what's going on. It's like I got I got to be better. It's not a race. It's not football. It's not track. It's um it's just like taste and food in a sense, you know. Yes. And I I felt like once I realized like man, you know what? I'm not gonna sound like anybody else because I understand my journey. I understand that I grew up playing in the room by myself. I can't sound like anybody else. Mm-hmm. I'm from Detroit. Mm-hmm. I have a certain, you know, the music I listen to is different. My path was different. Yeah. Um, my left hand has a ton of cartilage and, and scar tissue, so it, it sounds a little different. Whatever. Whatever your life story is, that's your fingerprint. Yeah. And when you go into a situation and you need to audition, like, maybe someone, someone likes it or they don't. But if they don't like it, someone else will. And the way that I approach the drums, there are people who don't. You know, they don't dig it. They don't feel it. And that's okay. But yeah. what's for me is for me. You have to be. You know? That's the thing about that. I get that. You have to be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. When I first moved to Nashville, I, I went from like a, a medium fish in a small pond to a very, very small fish in a very <laughs> large pond. Yeah. And I was talking to a producer that uh, 
didn't want to use a particular drummer that I thought was, well, that I continue to think is a god. He was just amazing. Uh, but he's like, no, I just don't like the way he hits the snare drum. And, and, and I'm just like, how can that be? But this was a successful producer yeah. that was making decisions, and the light bulb went off for me. And I'm like, hmm, it doesn't matter what you do. People will decide to use you or not use you yeah. based on what you do. And uh, and this has been a reoccurring thing. I always say this, but you sound better when you do what you do. Yes. You yeah. do not sound good trying to imitate. And imagine in an audition, if you're standing there and the nine other players, and you're going, oh, oh, he's playing that fill a little bit more solidly or his foot is killing. I can't do that, but I have to do that. So you're trying to imitate that person. <laughs> yeah. Don't imitate yeah. that person. Yeah. Imitate you. Yes. Be you. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. and, and, that, and that, that comes with life. You know, I, I'm i really big into, uh, you know, you play like your personality. You play like, you, you know, the things that you understand in your life. Like, if you, if you notice, man, you can go on YouTube right now and you will find 10 little kids that can out physically outplay me. Me and and a lot of my friends that have amazing situations, but you very rarely will find a kid that has amazing groove. Mm. Yeah, you know, you're not going to pull up a YouTube of like, oh man, this guy's feel. He just landed in there, and it's just like super mature and attractive. Like that doesn't it doesn't happen because I believe like you know when you harness the things you've gone through with with the beauty that you understand mm-hmm. and the life that you experience mm-hmm. that contributes to your groove well and and one thing uh when i saw uh Kenny Arnoff years ago at a clinic and he was talking about Tony Royster mm-hmm. junior when he was about 12 years old and he was everybody was talking about this 12 year old kid who just was just blowing the doors off this yeah. is before youtube of course yeah and and Kenny was like, yeah, Tony is great. Wow, he's amazing. But I'm going to tell you something. Don't be intimidated by this young kid and all the stuff that he does because he hasn't been heartbroken yet. Yeah, yeah. He hasn't been. And when he gets old, and of course now, Tony's yeah, yeah. Just amazed, killing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Tony was killing it too when he was that old. But it's like those things that Kenny knew that that he brought to the table and maybe some things that Tony could do better than Kenny Arnoff could do yeah. at 12 years old. Yeah. That didn't let that didn't knock Kenny off his pedestal. He's like, "No. I do like two or three things really good and I've made a career out of it." And it's, he exuded this confidence yeah. and it's, and he's like, "And I've been through this and I've been divorced and I've yeah. been <laughs> and you know, I I got replaced on John Cougar Milk. You know, it's like he's lived this, but when you see him play, the passion that he has, it 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 comes through. And it's probably all that stuff. So, that being said, I'll tell you 2016 has been a shitty year <laughs> yeah. for so for the world. I mean, yeah. think of all the artists mm-hmm. that we've lost yeah. this year. And Carrie Fisher just died yeah. the, yesterday. Crazy. Crazy. And we've lost so many musicians. I mean, Prince and David Bowie yeah. and just, uh, just all these musicians. And just the, the, the climate of the world right now is just so upended that I have a feeling, and I told my wife this when we were just like really depressed this last month, 
2017 is going to be amazing mm-hmm. because we are going to rise above all this negative noise because this is what makes us strong. Yeah. This, this is what makes yeah. people better. So it makes people come together. We makes people to come together. <laughs> yeah. We thrive in adversity. It's human nature. Yeah. Um, we don't need to be uh, treated with kid gloves and, you know, and become complacent. When things are too easy and good, we become soft and complacent. And uh, so I have a feeling good things are going to happen because we don't have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, kind of jumping off what you've uh, exemplified in your life and how you've made positive from adversity. Yeah. Um, I think uh, we all can do that, you know, non-drummers alike. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone. <laughs> Anyone. <laughs> even, even in your marriage. <laughs> yes, you're right. Tell yeah. me about, tell me about 2017. What's coming up with you guys? Okay. So we are doing, it's going to be really cool. We're doing like the first residency at the Ryman. So all year we'll be doing like uh, a couple times a month, like a residen- residency, and it'll be um, a different like thing each time, you know. So I think one of them we're going to go over like the Wonderlust record, which is the Pharrell thing. So we'll do that and we'll bring special guests in. Mm-hmm. Um, the very first one in February will be our al- album release, okay. which I'm super stoked about. Yeah. Um, I'm really proud of what we what, where we ended up. And uh, so we'll... We'll do that and do a ton of uh, just album promo stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and I, th- I think we have a uh, like an Australia trip plan. I think a UK trip. Yeah. Um. And, and just you know supporting the record. So yeah. I, I'm really excited. Uh, I've never been in a band, so I've never actually played parts live that I've created. Right. So I'm. I'm <laughs> I'm really excited about it, and and I just want to be sure to share those things, man. Because a lot of times we we think, you know, man, I'm working really hard, and one day, you know, everything's gonna blow, and I'll be able to like play on some records. Do it can happen in the snap of a finger. So mm-hmm. be ready, <laughs> right? Be ready, you know. Right. And you've been preparing for a long time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hubert, thank you so much for doing Dude, this. Thank you, man. man. I'm freaking honored to be here. You know, I, I love, love the podcast. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I'm excited to share this. Yeah. That's awesome, Thanks. man. Have a great day, man. Dude, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> okay, so how cool is Hubert? His path is unique, and I found myself being very inspired by the things he's accomplished in the face of so much adversity. Um, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Hubert is good people. My thanks as always goes to Mike Jackson for his technical help. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview. In two weeks is our 100th episode. And uh, what we've arranged is a roundtable discussion amongst a group of Nashville drummers that have a, uh, I guess, lack of a better term, a support group amongst themselves. And uh, our friend Kevin Murphy has assembled this and helped make this possible, this roundtable, and I appreciate him for that. All I can tell you is that we don't talk a lot of business. It just gets really crazy, and it's uh, conversations not for the faint of hearted. 
sometimes on the radio you might hear if there are children in the room you might send them in the other room uh it, the conversation gets uh a little nutty and dark so but it's a lot of fun and a lot of laughing and i'm excited to share it with you and uh again so much support over this uh, last couple years and i appreciate everyone's continuing uh to listen and support and uh hope to see you around thanks bye-bye